0: Hey, 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 this is The Rest, the rest of my thoughts, the rest of our church, and hopefully, with a little bit of help, some rest for our souls. Disclaimer, this is not a sermon. These are my thoughts and interests, and these are your thoughts and interests. The Rest is a time for open and safe opinions and dialogue. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for uh, checking today out. I uh, hope you've enjoyed what's been happening with this podcast recently. We've, uh, we've been in a season of learning at the church, so we've been having some discussions about learning, uh, particularly the educational process that we did the first two episodes with John McCambridge and then uh, kicked off a learning segment related to worship, and we're going to continue that today. Um, in the interview and aficionado part. So today's going to be an amazing day. We've got uh, some footnotes from uh, a message that was preached this weekend on spiritual warfare. We've got um, a special guest um with uh, Carmen Smith who is uh on staff at 514 Church as the service programming director and we're going to get to hear from her related to uh on on, a to- on the topic of worship and what a service programming director does to try to build an environment and an experience that is worshipful and how she does that here at the church and, uh, so with that, I also have, uh, an opening rant that I am, uh, going to dive into at this moment. So here's the opening rant. Yeah. So what a, what a, uh, a week it's been. And, uh, of course you already all know and all are ready for, uh, you'll hear this podcast weeks later, but, um, it's the week of the Super Bowl, so we talked about that last week after those Bengals won. But also, what happened this week um, is the uh, the Oscar nominations came out, and the the Oscar nominations are something that always kind of strike me. I love movies. I, I like to to uh, I grew up in that I don't know whatever golden age of of some of uh, you know the theater's greatest experiences, everything from Star Wars to. You know, Indiana Jones and uh, Back to the Future, and then, of course, in the 90s, The Matrix, and those types of experiences that kind of brought about some of the greatest moments in the theater and in movie making, and Avatar, and all those things. I, I love all the movies um, that are kind of the pop culture movies and the movies that make it. Two best picture nomination, and so uh, if you don't know what the nominations are, uh, I've seen some of them. Uh, Nightmare Alley with Bradley Cooper, Don't Look Up, I've seen that with by Adam McKay. That's with Leonardo DiCaprio. Dune, which is the remake of this uh, the famous movie uh, and, and and book I think that uh, came out a long time ago. Um, Drive my car. So I saw Dune. I saw Don't Look Up. I didn't see Nightmare Nightmare Alley. Um, I did not see Drive My Car. I did not see Belfast. Uh, Licorice Pizza did not see that. The Power of the Dog did not see that. West Side Story did see that. King Richard, I did see that with Will Smith. And Coda, I did not see that. So I don't know. I'm maybe just under half of seeing all of them. I try to see them all. It makes the Academy Awards much more interesting when you've seen best pictures. And then that leads you into a lot of best actor and actress performances. It, it, it's it's fun, something I try to do every year. But um, uh, recently, the, the movie that I saw was West Side Story. And uh, it just sparked a inner Commentary uh, that I that I wanted to to share. Um, first of all, West Side Story um, is an absolutely beautiful movie. I mean, it's it's absolutely gorgeous. The cinematography is absolutely striking. The the uh, choreography, the dancing, um, the acting—it's it, all unreal. The music is is the original music from. The original uh, movie and and Broadway show, and uh, it actually was nominated as you as I just read, it was nominated for Best Picture, and it did something special with that nomination. Steven Spielberg broke um, broke his tie. Uh, with the fellow filmmaking legend Martin Scorsese to become the first director to be nominated for Best uh, Director across six different decades with the the nomination for Best Director. It's also nominated for Best Picture of West Side Story. And uh, West Side Story, if you don't know much about it, is a a, a modern adaptation of the Shakespearean play Romeo and Juliet, About these two uh, characters that obviously are from these two different cultures and and, i.e. families and they're not supposed to have anything to do with each other but they dwell uh, in the same town same place together and they're not supposed to care about one another in fact they're supposed to hate one another but then these two characters boy and girl they fall in love. And that causes obviously a tremendous amount of tension among the two tribes, uh, and the tribes are kind of punctuated by these gangs, the Sharks and the Jets, and so ultimately there's a there's a big fight. And in in West Side Story, in in Romeo and Juliet it's two families, in West Side Story it's the Puerto Ricans and you know the americans that live in new york and and so they're they're fighting uh with each other and it, you know they have an actual gang fight and obviously there's it's a it's a tragedy you know it ends up very very sad and uh, at, at any rate, the movie was completely striking to look at and captivating from an acting persp- perspective. And uh, and I loved it. But what it did for me is it, it, it made me go to um, the place that I think a lot of us have spent time thinking of over the past two years. And that's the question of what kind of world is America? Um, uh, specifically as it's related to racism, because the the movie, West Side Story, the show, is a commentary on two different cultures dwelling together in this new American um, experiment, if you will. And uh, I have had many conversations, many different uh r- times of contemplation and reading and investigating this idea of systemic racism. And everyone right now is having lots of discussions. And of course, uh, there, there have been very heated discussions as it's related to what kind of world is America? Is it is it a systemically race-driven place? Is America, uh, is that just a, is that just um a, a misrepresentation of reality is that just a sample size of what's really happening and is america? Generally the, the bright and morning gleaming star that is the greatest um, Expression of government and people's coming together in the history of the world uh, w- Where are we uh, we know racism was was a major problem if you don't think that it is now um, You know that it was you know that it it was a horrific movement that was a major piece of the beginnings of this cult of this country and then you also know that within the past hundred years the civil rights movement was still a manifestation of great race uh divide and then we come to 2020 and we see the 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 kind of uh re-exasperation if you will or more the revealing of continued racial tension as it was you know manifested in the death of george floyd and then what that sparked in terms of the ideologies and the conflict around racism and what kind of country we are and what we need to do, what what we need to be, what are we, what are we supposed to do? What how do we write this? And so everything from critical race theory and the extreme nature of what that is at its core, which basically says everything is bad and everything uh the the under the under foundation of everything that's happened in America has a anti um uh anti-anyone but us uh a goal at its heart, and and so that that's a radical idea. That then you know people have conversations about critical race theory, and they say we shouldn't be teaching that in school. And really, a lot of people that are saying we should be teaching critical race theory in school aren't saying that we should teach the fundamental ideology that says that everything needs to be destroyed, but that at least we need to include the negative parts of history in the teaching of the history of this country. And so most people, when they hear that, uh, they're going to say, "I don't agree with critical race theory as a theory," and as a an ideology and as a, as a process to take into a country, but I do agree that we should be teaching history as it is, the bad things and the good things, and that uh, as you look at different uh, school districts and places all over the country, there are places that don't teach it holistically or leave certain parts out or spend too much time on others, and so that discussion is all happening, um, and I think it's it's an important discussion to have. I, I had a conversation with a pastor about a year ago who um uh you know so I, I have I have some family members who are black who are from manhattan, and uh I remember when I was in in school I, I took a sociology class and understood some of the basic tenets of systemic racism or in, in a very at the very least, that there is a natural progression of someone who comes to this country who's black versus white and the generations of success or the lack of success in, in those different families and how that has been proven that it's harder for the black family three or four generations ago to be successful because of the nature of some of the things that have happened and been put in place in this country. Now, with that said, Um, uh, what, what I'm, what I'm opening up here is that the movie West Side Story, I think, I think what it does is it gives an honest and it gives a fair uh, assessment and it gives a fair, uh, window into the actual struggle that is the racial tension in this country. And, and, and bottom line where I am on, on racial tension and is there systemic racism? Someone that looks at me and says there's not systemic racism. I feel like they're trying to say that there's, that it's not a problem or that because it's not written into the laws that there's not systemic race. I have a problem with that because I think that people um, are evil and I think that people run the systems and therefore there are still evil people running systems and therefore the systems do evil things. And I do believe that there is a systemic problem of racism, obviously, throughout the past 200 years. And I think that that still manifests in some of the government and the movement and all the different things. Of course, the redlining in the 60s is, is a great example of how potent that could have been through systems but even now I still think that you have certain areas and pockets where This is not a a racially, you know, equal place for for all all races, depending on where you are. But at the same time, I think it's important to say that the United States of America in the history of humanity is, in fact, the greatest experiment come to life in terms of government and people groups and freedoms and liberties. And that that should also be said, because I think people like to go, no pun intended, if you will, black or white. It's either all bad or there's no no racism, it's all good. Everything is horrible and needs to be destroyed or everything is perfect and there's nothing to deal with and then if, if there's nothing to deal with, that lacks empathy for the side of people who are struggling and if it's all bad, it basically says that everything that we've done that's good isn't worth it until we fix everything and both of those ideas and concepts as we talk about race, they're not helpful because the reality is, is that you know, from a Christian perspective, from my perspective the world is evil, people do evil things but people are made in the image of God, and there is a desire to move towards good things at, at times, but, but because of brokenness and sin, which is a whole different topic uh, in and of itself, we gravitate towards evil and pride, and our hearts are hardened, and we, we, we hurt one another, and we hurt different people groups, and that's been manifested all the way throughout history. Even within the last hundred years, um, when you talk about America as a project for government and democracy and, and kind of the, the fruit of... Uh, of what it can mean and what Western civilization is, there's plenty of problems, but uh, over the past 10 years, there have been more people that have been brought out of poverty than than were in poverty, I think, in the 100 years before that. Now, the numbers are, are skewed because of the number of population, but the actual amount, so there's so much good that is happening in the West as a result of the United States of America and what we stand for and what we believe. And When you look at what Stalin was trying to do in communism in the Soviet Union during uh, the the World War II and the, the Cold War, I mean, you see 30 million people died, and you see that that, that experiment, it didn't work. And so what we do have here is we have A government that um, has a system of Capitalism and growth and expansion and individualism that definitely doesn't make everybody okay But it gives a lot of people and more people per capita than in the history of the world to actually have a successful life and the fact that like uh, Everywhere we go, you know in 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 most places the bathrooms work the lights work Our heaters work at our home and all of that works in this system that that is because we have independent owners and people that run business. Businesses And there's something here that is really, really special. And, and, and then you see the movement of the civil rights movement and you see people that, that have made huge changes to make the racism in this country, um, start to go away and to see people have more actual, uh, uh, appropriate view of inclusion and bringing people together and seeing things the way that, that they were supposed to be seen, that we're all supposed to be together, um, a multi-ethnic movement of people together at one table, which I believe is God's original design. But of course, it's not perfect. So there's a mix of it. And in West Side Story, it, it has a, a, a song in it that kind of dances, if you will, and sings about this very topic. Which I just, I just, it hit me. I thought this is what the world needs to see right now. Because in in West Side Story, there's a part where. The Puerto Rican women are are talking about how much they love America, and that's that it's that famous song "I Want to Be in America." And, that, and you heard that song growing up, and, and they redo that song, and and in in the interaction, the women are are singing about how great America is and how they even you know they were from Puerto Rico, their at least their parents were, or or they came over came on the boat and ended up in New York or however they got there they liked America way better than Puerto Rico. So America provided things that they loved, but the men are are singing with them. And every time they make three points about how great America is, the men come in and qualify it to say, yeah, but here's also a problem with America. And I think it really represents what this is. That there is so much to sing about, and there's so much great about the American project and what has happened with people, but at the same time, we need to be reminded that there's a lot of work to do and that there are people who are oppressed and racism still exists and there are pockets of, of that type of evil that are that's so sinister and real that it does need to be adjusted. Everybody wants to go black or white, all or nothing, but actually it's there's lots to sing and celebrate about and then at the same time, there are things that need to be constantly challenged so just a couple of the of the lyrics um you know like the opening line it's the girl singing i want to be in america okay by me in america everything free in america and then the guys step in and say for a small fee in america Uh, another line is skyscrapers bloom in america cadillac zoom in america industry boom in america and then the guys say 12 in a room in america like yes those things are all happening but it's still hard for us here and 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 as the men they're saying like yes there's so much more provided for all of you here but as men we still aren't step by step with all of those people who lead industry and who are in charge and who have authority and who can make it so it's like we're taking a back seat to give you all so much more um Another, another one, lots, lots of new housing with more space, lots of doors slamming in our face. I'll get a terrace apartment, and then the guy says, better get rid of your accent. Uh, another one, it's, just, it's, it's, it's the combination, I love it. Life can be bright in America, if you can fight in America. Life is all right in America, and then the guys say, if you're all white, in America. So I think it's an important movie. I think that even though it's whatever from the late fifties and it represents the, the, the kind of bringing of peoples together in New York city, which was kind of like the, the sample size or the litmus test for what was about to blossom into the rest of the country. I think that it's, it represents still the spirit and i think it's a spirit that people need to have i think that it's really weird and 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 foolish for people to just pick one side and, and ignore the other. I think that life is complex and that, that both things can exist simultaneously and that there can be great joy and celebration for what has happened. Um, and then at the same time, it's like, no, we got some stuff to do. I mean, even this week or last week, Brian Flores, the, uh, the, uh, coach of the Miami dolphins, he was fired. Um, uh, as a black man fired as the head coach of the Miami Dolphins and was interviewing for a job and he found out and wasn't supposed to find out through a series of texts that he was going to interview for a job and I can't remember go read the story I think it was with the Giants and he was going to interview a job and he was being told and what was being presented to him is that he had a fair shot at getting the job he had a fair shot at getting the job, but he found out that before he even went and interviewed that that he didn't have the job. They already gave it to a white guy. So he is suing the NFL because he's going, there's only one black coach and uh, head coach in the NFL. And this this represents like, this is America. Like there's one black coach. I was the other black coach. I got fired and I got told that I had an, a fair chance to get the job and I was lied to. So he get, he got interviewed. He said he felt humiliated. He, he said he felt humiliated that he would go and sit. He actually did the interview. He sat in an interview. They placated him and made him think that he was actually interviewing for a job that they didn't give him. So, I mean, obviously, they, they messed up in more ways than just any implications of racial injustice or, or unfairness. But I think that the point needs to be made that there's work to be done. But at the same time, you look at America and all of the great things and the possibilities. I mean, the thing about the NFL is 73% of the guys in the NFL are are black. And so you have one black coach of the 32 and then everyone else is black. It's like, it's good. There's growth, but there's room for more growth. So anyway, you know, Oscar nominations, uh, racism in America, don't be tricked into buying one narrative and saying that's the thing. It's complex. It's mixed. There's room for growth and it needs to be addressed and we need to be serious about it. And we also need to be okay to celebrate and to stand up and to say the national anthem and to sing songs and celebrate what, what this country has done. And how great of an experiment it is and how successful it's been. But man, we, we can never settle. We have to continue to get better. So uh, with that, I'm going to dive into a segment that I like to call footnotes, which is extra sermon content from this week's message. So this is footnotes. So with footnotes, what I like to do is just take a minute and, and go to the, those, those little pieces of the message that are cited, but never developed. You know, they might get cited. They might get talked about. They might get brushed up against. But whenever you're doing a message, there's so much you can't say. I've said this before. One of the art forms of doing messages is what you don't say. And, you know, that framing, it can make what you do say so much more powerful. But as a speaker, as a pastor, as a leader of people, it, there's a constant tension with, oh, but I want to tell them everything. So you can't tell them everything. You can only tell them some things, and you have to make sure that those some things are worth saying. But it means that there's still room for so much more extra content and dialogue. And just to just to briefly summarize, John McCambridge, who was on the podcast uh, for episode one and two, of the rest. He did a message this week for baptism about spiritual warfare. And he talked about, um, he talked about how the world is, uh, in a spiritual battle, that Christians are in a spiritual battle, that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, and that there's a real enemy, and that it's a real problem, and that when you stand up and you pledge your allegiance to Christ, you are not on neutral ground. You're picking Jesus, and if you don't pick Jesus, even if you're saying, I'm not picking the enemy by not picking Jesus, you're still picking the enemy, and that people that pick Jesus are not just um, on his side, but they've been given the authority of knowing Jesus and having the Holy spirit and, and him being the King. And we're given the authority to go out in the world and to take ground in the way that we're supposed to live our lives as the light of the world for Christianity to be beacons of light and salt and love and care and to battle in a very counter cultural way, but to take ground in love, to take ground in, you know, forgiveness. And, and so, um, uh, it was a great message and it kind of sparked people to a sense of, of, Uh, contemplative, uh, you know, uh, uh, asking, you know, making sure, making people check themselves, what am I, what am I getting baptized for? What does this mean for me? Really kind of an inventory of the heart. And so what I want to, you know, add to that, and you should go watch that, um, that message. uh, What I want to just add to that is that the battleground that that uh, this fight is being taken on, place on, that the front of it is the heart, the human heart, people's hearts. Um, if God gets our hearts, we see throughout the text that from the heart, the mouth speaks that uh, Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out because from from inside of him, what he says is therefore like the indicator of what he's going to do with his life and how he lives his life. And so God, what he's into is really he's into getting our hearts in the Old Testament um, you know, the law came along to try to form the people of Israel around being the people of God, and it, and and because of people, it failed. And so God said, "The problems in the people." So He needed to circumcise their hearts and change their hearts so that they could then manifest the good deeds. And so, what Jesus is after is truly people's hearts and as we give him our hearts then our lives change and we can we can we can be formed into his likeness and live his goodness into the world and so that spiritual battle is so important and when you give your heart to Christ it's like you're handing him and saying okay God do your best work like shape me reshape me because I I I have a lot to do here and that's important and 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 so the the only little thing I want to add which is just more of a commentary on the reality of people's hearts and this is is somewhat anecdotal, uh, to a bigger sign that people's hearts are a mess and you see it. And right now in the world that we live in, I'm like seeing a manifestation of people's dark hearts all the time. Like I saw something the other day at Kroger that I've never seen before in my lifetime. Like it's the, it's the funniest story, but it's, it's, it's a picture And it's indicative of the times that, like, people coming out of COVID, we are like war torn. We are like, we are tired. We are like, aggressive we're, we're we're like an animal that's been caged up and malnourished and so it's like instead of like going in smoothly moving into interactions with people we're like worked up and so it turns into a fight like a scrum like we're fighting over what it means to be a human and i'm watching this play out i saw this happen the other day i was at kroger and in the self-checkout line there was a a woman like a like a 60 year old woman and she was like cr- like like, uh, she was like a crotchety old woman. Like she, she was very nice, but her, her, she was, what I mean is I'm sure she could be nice, but she was not being nice. She was angry and upset and she was in the self checkout aisle and she kept yelling at the, uh, the guy that is overseeing those six stations who is there to just aid for help, but not to, you know, actually check out your your groceries. She kept having a problem. So I watched this whole thing happen. She goes, can you come help me? He came and helped her. He stepped away. He, he asked again, can you come help me? He came and helped her and stepped away. And something happened again. And he came back and she started in on him. She started saying things like, why aren't you helping me? Why do you keep walking away? You're not not doing your job very well. And then I heard her say, you're not being very courteous. And at first, the guy that worked there was like, he was measured and he said, I am doing my job. This is self-checkout. I'm here to help you, but not like do the whole checkout. You're supposed to do it. And it didn't work. She just got more and more angry, and she started saying. She started looking at him and pointing at him, and she said, "You're not doing your job. You're not very courteous." And he, I watched him snap. He snapped. He looked at her, and uh, just before he, he actually, here's what happened. Their their energy was raising, so a manager came over before he snapped. So so he's, he's hearing from her, the, the energy's rising, their, their, their conflict is getting louder. So the manager comes over and she looks at the manager and then points at him and says, he's not doing his job. He's not helping me. He's not being very courteous. And he, that made him snap. And he said right to her in front of the, uh, the, the manager, he said, you better stop that. You Stupid B, but he said it like he's like you stupid B and it was like everyone in the store like it was like the 430 to 530 window of post work grabbing stuff at the grocery store. So it was busy and he goes, you stupid bee. And then she goes, C. And his ire raised. And I am telling you, at the top of his lungs, he like, he lifted up his chest. He bent his neck towards her and he got up on his toes and he said, F you. I mean, and everyone, like, you could hear, like, the deli meats heard him scream, F you. And it was like everyone just stopped and looked at this thing. Manager handled it great, pushed him aside, waved his finger, and sent him off into the Netherland. I don't know where he went. I'm sure he lost his job. But I'm telling you right now, when you're talking about a spiritual battle and you're talking about it being the heart like our hearts have a propensity to go dark they fall away from god they fall away from tenderness um even those of us that follow christ uh, th- there's still so much work to be done as we can get our hearts hardened we can become really bad versions of ourselves we can we can we can be set off and so you know just one thing about the spiritual battle is like recognize that that your heart is is where the work is going to really blossom from. And so as in your daily time with God, it's like, you know, God, my heart. And and maybe you're not feeling like your heart is hard, and maybe you're not feeling like you're mad, or maybe you're not feeling like you're you're loose or you're sensitive. You should assume that you are going through more stress and anxiety than you are maybe sensing in the moment. You should assume as a Christian and just as a person, if you're listening to this, that the last two years have taken a toll on you. And as tough as you might think you are, you have a thin layer, more of a thin layer, a thin membrane that could burst with less conflict or less tension than the than the past because we're worn out you're worn down like that pair of shoes it's like it may look fine but if you get close and you poke it it could pop really fast because it's worn down so everybody's worn down over the past so 2 years so when you go to God in the morning like my suggestion is to talk to God about the real state of your heart not necessarily how you're feeling in that moment cuz i feel a lot of energy right now I feel a lot of like, it's great. I'm glad we're out, we're about, we're moving, things are happening, it's getting a little better. Again, I'm not saying there's not still problems and, and, and things that need to be addressed and sensitivities that need to be taken at times, but I'm feeling energy and that can almost trick me into thinking that everything is fine or that I'm fine. And the reality is, is I'm probably not fine and I probably have a propensity to react or respond poorly more than ever before. So just a thought in your morning routine, say, God, My heart is probably tender. My heart is probably sensitive. God, if someone rubs me the wrong way or cuts me off or my spouse or my kid or whatever, I'm sure that I could pop. And I don't want to pop. I don't want to do that. So, God, would you, would you just tenderize my heart? Would you just remind me of your love for me? Would you just give me a minute and just remind me of the gentleness that I need to have? God, give me the spirit that helps control me. Help me to be alert of things that could bring about some kind of nasty response. Uh, things like that are going to be worth a lot of our time. Uh, okay. So with that, we're going to get to the, the, the lion's share, if you will of the podcast today as we continue the discussion um, uh, with an aficionado, uh, a master of trade in worship because we're talking about learning. We're in a season of learning at our church. And so right now I am going to bring Carmen Smith who is going to talk to us about worship and service programming. This is the aficionado, the maestro, I call it. So here we have the one and the only Carmen Smith, how you doing? Hey, she's raising her hands like she's on camera. No one can see you right now. Yeah,
1: I just did. She waved at the camera for myself. Yeah, hi Joel. I'm How are you?
0: I'm great. Good. So, for those of you that go to Five Fourteen Church, and if you don't, you know that it's fine. We still love you. Um, Sort of. But uh, Carmen has been on staff at Five Fourteen Church. Uh, almost eleven years now, maybe eleven. Eleven. Eleven years. Worried, eleven years. <laughs> yes. Yep. So eleven years. And she has basically uh been a a director for almost Every area of our ministry, she started off as a children's director, and then she moved to student director, Mm -hmm. and she's played a role in all kinds of other things. Groups, I don't think you've ever been the groups director, but Mm -hmm. basically groups have been under your leadership because she joined the leadership team later, and then part of groups was under her, her, um, her stuff here, and then uh, I don't know, several years ago. Carmen became the service. When was that? Carmen became the service programming yeah, several director. Four years ago, probably four years. Ago. Four years ago. Yeah. So the service programming director is in charge of putting together the Sunday morning services from STEM to Stern. So go ahead, Carmen, and just describe a little bit about what it is you do. What does a service programmer do?
1: Yeah. Um, I... Uh, yeah. Actually
0: tell everybody a little bit about yourself before you do that.
1: Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm Carmen. Um I'm a mom and a wife. I have 3 kids. Uh ages almost 10, I have an almost 10-year-old, which is wild, uh 7 and 5. Two girls and a boy. They keep us busy and also crazy. And then yeah, I've been married for uh, 11 years. And uh, to to my husband Brad Smith, and yeah, we live here in New Albany. Uh, I'm from Indiana. Go Hoosiers, baby, or go Blue. <clears> Those <throat> are my states that I love. Here I am in Ohio. Quickly, uh, yeah, in Buckeye Land. But yeah, that's like the short, high, the short high one. level of me. Yeah, I think
0: the other thing that is important for people to know is oh. Carmen grew up, and she's a pastor's kid.
1: I'm a pastor's kid. I'm a true PK. Yep. Yeah, so that has shaped obviously so much of me and and who I am and honestly why I'm here today. Um, So, and actually I'll get to that in a little bit, but a service programmer uh, is specifically for me, like if I had to say what I do, I create experiences to help people experience God. That's good. And so, um, I mean, it's kind of taking a bit of everything, Music, message, media, production team, the feel, the vibe, every little element that goes into it to seamlessly create, honestly, a story almost, mm-hmm. um, a service from mm-hmm. start to finish. And so my hand is, you know, at a high level, kind of overseeing all of those pieces that are brought together to say something. Mm-hmm. So. hmm um. Yeah. Ultimately, here we want to create services that help people experience Jesus, and so uh, that's what I do. I try to look at every single moment that makes up a service, bring intentionality to it, uh, m- bring connectivity to it, so people can, like I said, ultimately experience who God is.
0: Yeah. Do you? Um. How? how just I know this wasn't in my pre-given questions. And I won't answer. Yeah. But what when when you think about a service program director and maybe it is oh yeah, yeah it is so so when you think about a service program director mm-hmm. and worship like how do those two how do those combine like what what's so important about service programming that leads to worship
1: yeah um that's that is in here and that's a that's a nice question um you know i as a service programmer am trying to um create, I say this a lot, like a distraction-free environment Mm -hmm. where people's hearts can be tender and the presence of God can be experienced. And so, you know, I think that worship can take on a bunch of different forms, but, you know, for me um, and and here and in this space, uh, that's what I get to do. I get Mm -hmm. to lead people um, to an experience with God where they can worship Him and their hearts can be open to Him. And I enjoy also, this is kind of a, a, an offside of it a little bit, but I think that, you know, we are given gifts as individuals and humans that are God given, that he's given us talents and abilities. And so it's fun for me because I get to take a bunch of people with mm-hmm. a bunch of gifts mm-hmm. and a bunch of abilities mm-hmm. and get to see them, uh, you know, come to life using those for God. Mm-hmm. And so at the same time, they get to worship God through what their abilities and talents are. Yeah. And so it's kind of cool cause I can, I get to create moments where people worship God and their hearts are open to him. And you know here in this space we're, we're playing worship music and there's reading and there's prayer and there's real moments of that. And then in addition, it's cool. Cause I get to take this incredible team and watch them worship God uh, through, through just their talents and their mm-hmm. abilities, which mm-hmm. is really cool.
0: One thing that I want you to talk about is the importance of service programming because mm-hmm. there's some traditions that, you know, it's kind of like, just get to it. Yeah, You know, it's like, just, just, you know, th- this is why we're here. Oh, the doors are open, come in and, and like, this should matter to you. But service programming at its core, like at its, at its kind of predisposition is, Maybe everybody's not ready. Maybe yeah. maybe everybody's not there. So talk a little bit about like why there's a process mm-hmm. or like worship is not just the songs. Right. But that it's a a, a journey right. like a journey or a story or
1: Yeah. So uh, a little bit I'm going to talk about my burden cuz this kind of ties mm-hmm. into it. Mm-hmm. So I grew up as a pastor's kid and um <laughs> I'm a part of the generation that was influenced by, I'll say, uh, kind of a church movement that started to care about experiences and Mm -hmm. started to care, like you're saying, that there was programming and there was thought put into... Moments, So that it was honestly more accessible for, you know, people to come into church. It wasn't this, uh, I don't know, weird thing. Maybe your preconceived notions were were honestly torn down and it was this different experience. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. I'm a product of that church movement. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly what my dad um, started and led 30, you know, five plus years ago. So then throughout my life, I was shaped, I mean, very specifically, I think that people experience God in their, you know, in their journey with him in a lot of different moments. That was my moment was experiences. Okay, So I, and I'm talking like specific, like services, services. camps, um, retreats, mm-hmm. they were so well-crafted. Mm. They were so excellent. And I started to be enamored at a young age with going to conferences and other churches. My dad would drag us, you know, vacations. We would stop here and there. Mm-hmm. He would run to a church on a weekend. I would go with him. I was constantly, you know, seeing experiences where people were really craftfully putting them together mm-hmm. so that people could experience God. Yeah. And I became fascinated by yeah. it. And so when people say, well, how was how your faith shaped? My faith was so shaped in experiences. Yeah. Really. And yeah. in camps. And so I started to notice that when you create distractionless environments and when you care about the way things feel and the way things look, and yeah. when you care about elements being excellent,
0: yeah.
1: And you use multimedia and you use videos and, and you say messages that are the same but in different ways, that there is there's something there's something special that happens. Yes. And so I started to be really, really moved by that. Um, and that's part of the reason I have a burden not only for experiences but also the local church Yeah. because i believe that's a beautiful place where that can happen in in specific ways.
0: Well, one of the let me let's just uh, one of the like the things that a service programmer does that you do and one of the things about you that is is great to watch is like it's kind of instinctive because of what you're talking about like you grew up in... like You know, you'll kind of just be like, no, I don't, I don't like the way that feels or no, I want it to, it needs to, you'll say a lot of the time, like, no, this needs to be like this. So for example, one of the things we, so we always, we do a lot of like, we have our like standard operating, you know, our, the way we do church on a week to week basis is very like it's are more artful more more free more designed there's there's a there's a mold but mm-hmm. you know the the plug yeah, we and play have a grid. but yeah. then but then there, there you know we do different stuff and it's not a liturgy that's written in stone but at christmas time and at easter time and stuff we always like really create something that's very unique one one example of like service programming that i want you to talk about like because like we've oftentimes had music in the hallway. So it's like Mm -hmm. on a Christmas service. So music's in the hallway. Now this is one of these things where I think one time we had a jazz band in the hallway Mm -hmm. or whatever. So like, you know, you grew up in church and maybe you don't associate, you know, God with jazz music, but like as a service programmer, What you're doing is you're going, you see that the way that feels like music feels a certain way. So it does something you walk into a room when, when there's live music, I almost, I view jazz music, like opening a bottle of champagne and that sound. So it's like pop, it's like fun. And it's like, you're, you're disarmed. So talk a little bit about like, just creating almost like an, like appetizers courses into this thing, this moment.
1: Yeah, and if you've come to our church, you can see that a little bit. Um, I don't think service programming lives only in a service, honestly. I think that it can start in the parking lot, it can start in the hallway. And so, I mean, as even we're talking, you can think of your experiences in life where you've walked in places or you've been somewhere and you're like, Ooh, this doesn't feel like I'm supposed to be here. Or why is it that way? Or why does it feel like it's a a restaurant I'm supposed to eat here, but that waitress is so unfriendly. It seems like I'm right. So all of those elements uh, can be honestly translated into church. And so for, for instance, you know, and, the,
0: and the, there's a difference Yeah, that makes a difference.
1: Oh, I think it makes all the difference. I think that the way I think that scent mm-hmm. uh, cleanliness, Clean, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, our bungalow that was designed by an interior designer. Why? Because when you look in, it it warms you. Yeah. It brings you familial vibes. It makes you feel like, oh, this is a place I could relax. Mm-hmm. This is a place I could enjoy mm-hmm. company, all mm-hmm. of those things. Uh, we're so, it it starts to break walls down. Break
0: walls down.
1: And so same with music, you know, it it makes such a difference when there's nothing in the hall and when you turn music on. When you You have the smell of coffee, when you don't. There's so many different elements that honestly we're trying to do so that when you sit down, um, I don't know, you feel a certain way.
0: You do. And I'll tell you what, people will say, and a lot of churches don't think that stuff matters, but it you know we don't just have music because it's in vogue we don't just have coffee because people will cry if they don't have it yeah we have it because we're trying to say like you're supposed to be here and we're taking you somewhere
1: yeah i so i read a book um it's been several several years ago called the power of moments and this book it framed and and it so impacted the way i view Uh, what I do because the whole concept is that there's defining moments that we all have throughout our lives. I mean, you can think of those moments. Some of them are obvious birth dates and Mm -hmm. weddings and anniversaries Mm and the day your child was born Mm -hmm. or the day your your, your child graduated. Those are all these defining moments that you Mm -hmm. have. But we think a lot of times they're happenstance, you know, they're just or they're because I was born that day or that moment happened because it was at the just, you know, luck or whatever it is. And this book talks about how, in fact, we can be authors of them. Mm that moments are not just completely random, but we as humans get to, there's elements of defining moments Mm. that are in every single one Mm. so that we can start to be authors. Yeah, And so I love that concept because it made me think, wow, we can work and we can think and we can toil over what it looks like to create a moment that impacts someone forever. Uh, one of the stories in the books, it's quick. It's so, so, it was so impactful. Um, it, the GE, uh, it was an, an, a designer for the company GE, General, General Electric, Electric. And they create a lot of MR, MRI machines that, you know, CAT scans, all of that for hospitals, mm-hmm. specifically kids' hospitals. Mm-hmm. And so they started to do research on those machines, and they look specifically at the sedation rate. So how many children had to be sedated in order to go through this machine? Mm. There was a designer at the table who said, what if we started to create these machines to you know, have theme and interest? And so they created these that looked like Pirate ships and the rooms mm. were painted and, and the MRI was mm. a, was a boat. And then they had yeah. like a space themed one. Then the whole room was outer space. And then the MRI was, or the machine was a, was a rocket. And so they started to test these and it was incredible because the, the sedation rate Went down from 80% of kids needing it to 27. Wow. And it was cute because they tell the story of a little girl who, who went through it. And I mean, when you're getting an MRI for your kid, that's serious, right? Yeah. Something's and it's going scary. on. And it's scary. And so many kids are so scared. And a little girl. Have went you
0: ever gotten it. an MRI? Yeah. It's It's like, I mean, I'm class. I have like a little bit, you're like in a tube. It's It's, You can't breathe. A little
1: girl went through it and she got out of it and she said, can I do that again tomorrow? Wow. And so it was this cool example where, you know, the guy realized that he wasn't just fixing a machine. He was creating an entire experience. Yeah. And he could do that through these factors that create moments for people.
0: Well, you're, 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 you're still doing what the MRI is to do. It's yep. reading to see the, you know, the cancer, the problem, yeah. the thing, but it doesn't feel like it now. Right. The so machine
1: didn't need change. The, the same work did. was
0: done, yep. but it was done more successfully because yep. of the process and the experience before. I mean that, so growing up in the church I grew up in, the idea was, you know, that the music before the message was supposed to open people's hearts to receive the word of the Lord from the pastor. So it's, it's, it's like, that's, that's a part of it. Right. But like what you're doing is you're taking that and you're going, let's blossom that into the entire, like you said, the parking lot all the way in the hallway, all the way, the opening thing, all the way, all the way through so that the same MRI thing can happen. Yeah. I mean, it's just like our, the dentist, right? Right. Heinz little smiles. I mean, that's a scary thing. Yeah. So it's like they they have like a tree house or something and like dinosaurs or something. Absolutely. So kids sit in there and they're like, you know. Am I at
1: a playground? Or am I just in a getting getting playground? Teeth, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. 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 It's really, really cool. And so I don't know, like to encourage people or to say that, like I'm a service programmer here, but I have taken the idea of moments and the power of them and uh, look at your family. How can you create rhythms in your family? Um, you know, you can take certain moments that are already there and how can you make them unique and memorable Mm -hmm. where they go, Oh my gosh, they Mm -hmm. define a a defining moment is memorable and meaningful. Mm. And so how do you do that? What, you know, what does a Saturday look like? Maybe mm-hmm. you call it whatever Saturday and mm-hmm. it's a theme. And, and so that will mark people. And, and they just say that defining moments at the end of a life, that's what you recount. And that's what, what you, you talk about.
0: What, okay. What, what is a moment? <laughs> <That's> what, <good. laughs> what is it?
1: Well, I, I don't know. That's, that's an interesting question. Um.
0: Like what, what, what's happening? So, so, you know, the MRI, the scan of the brain, the, Mm -hmm. the whatever, that's the thing that they were going towards when a moment has happened Mm -hmm. and it's like, that was a successful moment. What's the, what's the anatomy of the moment?
1: Well, so I just said two of them, this would, they say that a defining moment They say colon, it means it's memorable and it means it's meaningful. Right. So it's something that, that strikes you. Mm -hmm. And they found there's four elements to a moment Okay. that I I could get into, but there's these four elements that they talk about that create Mm -hmm. these moments. It's got to
0: be like emotion. It's yeah. Makes you
1: emotional connection, connection, pride is one. So think of when you you cross a finish line at a marathon, that's a moment. That's a moment. Right. Um, Connection. So those are social things. Uh, weddings yeah. and funerals. Mm-hmm. Uh, insight is another one. So that's what you one, learn something. You learn something. Something in your brain gets rewired, or you mm-hmm. understand the world a different mm-hmm. way. That's what we do a lot here. Mm-hmm. At yeah, church, yeah, 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 Is we are trying to, you know, lead people into a moment where they learn something about their faith or mm-hmm. about themselves that's mm-hmm. insightful. It yep. changes them forever. And then elevation. Those are surprise. Surprise. A lot of people, yeah, those are the, what they call the four elements of a defining moment. Yeah. So elevation, you know. What's thinking, that? That's, that's a surprise or something okay. that rises above a normal occasion. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. So I, I like the idea of, you know, I, I learned recently that um, the human brain is not designed to remember specifics mm-hmm. about things. It's designed to learn and remember enough so it can get the lesson.
1: Isn't that crazy? So
0: like, you you know, the, the whole reason something happens and the way that the brain tries to metabolize that experience is not through, um, I need to tell the story of what happened. Right. It's what happened to me and what did I learn and what will I tell people? So it's like when you create a moment for people, they'll walk out and they'll go, I just realized.
1: Yes. That would be insight, right? I
0: just felt, felt.
1: yeah. I just connected, connected, with, yeah. and
0: it's like they're not. It's like, well, what happens? Like, I don't know. I was at church, and I, you know, I don't. Right. Then the message, and then, I don't know. I just, mm-hmm. I felt, I this, I learned, yeah. And I think that's really cool that it, we get to like.
1: Yeah, you know, we, we get to be moment makers. Yeah. We really do. It's it's a when I learned or or was not given permission, but when I was introduced the, to the idea that you can really author them and create mm-hmm. them, um, I think yeah, that's, that's so cool. beautiful because we have an opportunity, very cool opportunity here to create specific moments. And then I mean, specifically here is that so much of what I do then is Honestly, trusting God mm-hmm. and asking Him to move. Mm-hmm. And so like there's only so much we can do as mm-hmm. as a service programmer. There's only so much you can do. And then really it's being confident that God's gonna move through this. Yeah. Yeah. He's I, I gonna th- move through these lyrics. And, yes. and he can, he can touch people's hearts yes. through all of that.
0: And and you're and you're leveraging them with wisdom and skill and, and you're yep. you're trying to create that. I think that one of the things that the pushback can be. Which I find an interesting pushback when you look at like the historical expense. I mean, some of the most beautiful cathedrals Mm -hmm. and and works of art were commissioned, you know, by the Pope to make, you know, Michelangelo make make the Moses. This like highest paid, you know, artist in the world, most sought after to make something that when people see it, they're drawn into like this effervescent, like heightened spiritual experience. And the way that like, you know, cathedrals were made, were made to strike, you know, people At a place where they, I've never seen something so beautiful before. So the expense was like, you know, out the door for some reason in church, we have this like frugal thing where like frugal means faithful. And I hate that because to me, faithful is about like advancement. It's about stewardship. It's about placement. So when you're talking about service programming, You know, when you're looking at a budget and it's like, hey, we're going to spend whatever $10,000 on experiencing this for these two things, Mm -hmm. you can go, man, that seems like a lot of money just for coffee, or that seems like a lot of money just for a, we're going to pay a jazz band. Right. But when you know, that's why we can do that with confidence that like, we're going to have a jazz band. We're going to have, so we had at our Christmas service, I think that what you put together, was maybe the best moment we've ever had with the Doxology. Yeah, it was
1: beautiful. Yeah, and
0: it was like there's a live band. Mm-hmm. There was a pianist in the yeah. hallway. Mm-hmm there's a, this really interesting introduction to everything we did with music and lights. And you can go into like the specifics oh, yeah. of light and sound and, 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 cues. and dynamics and cues and yeah. all the stuff. I mean, we sit there and talk about transitions, which are cues, which are, you know, try to make it seamless where a lot of people that if you just go to seminary, you're just like, <laughs> just read the Bible. <laughs> right. And it's like, no, yeah. like you have to shepherd people to the, to, the, to the grass. Yeah, Like you can't just like shove a sheep's face in the dirt and say, get something out of this. It's Mm -hmm. like, lead them somewhere. right? And so, but I mean, it got to that doxology moment. I talked with Eddie, I think about it last Mm -hmm. week of that. That was one of the, that took me. Yeah. I I had an experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I feel it in me, like of worship, like of a moment of, I just got brought to the place. I honestly, this sounds cheesy and this sounds churchy, but I felt like I was like, in the throne room. Hmm,
1: I know. Like yeah. I was
0: like, I'm here. Like I'm mean, I am in the throne room. Like everything disappeared. Well,
1: yeah. It's funny too, because that service in particular was um also. <laughs> there was a I,
0: spoken word before there was. it
1: I say this and the team was said no, it wasn't. I said it was simple. It was. As in the elements were not. because 'cause we've done confetti cannons. We have done cannons.
0: Which I think and are fire. important for a no, moment in time. We have been fire. fire.
1: <laughs> Is that coming? Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> it's Easter, I think. Right, yeah. Um no but but Everything was, uh, it was simple in yeah, ways yeah. The the, it was, uh, simple, but very full
0: um, intentional. It
1: was. And so I think sometimes, yeah, it, in the church world, it gets a little wonky because mm-hmm. people think that, you know, oh, that's frivolous or mm-hmm. that's silly. But I mean, like we, you know, we pay for certain moments and we craft certain things and it can still feel really simple and and be very touching.
0: Hey, the whole world, I think you and I both learned this, the whole world spends Thousands of dollars to create moments. I mean, yep. you look at what's about to happen—millions, uh, billions of dollars. I mean, look what's going happen to happen—the Super Bowl this weekend with Dr. Dre and Mary J. Blige and Eminem, and you know their whole thing is like they want to create like a halftime thing. And like, what are you going to learn that like you know Dre's right. got some new weed or I don't know what I don't <laughs> know what the, I don't know what the point of that moment is going to be. Right. And I'm fine with entertainment and I enjoy that to to an extent, but to think that humans who are affected with, with that aren't also affected with the same pathway to being right. brought to a moment in the church is, I think, foolish.
1: I agree, yeah. Like,
0: we need to leverage the skill and the wisdom so that people can can worship.
1: Yeah, and in that, like, tone, I that's why I feel... It's it's uh, it's incredible that I mean you think of the halftime show and yeah. many more people will see it than who will forever be right. here. But I would say our impact is much greater. Right? Why it can be right? Yeah because of of what we're doing right. and who who we're connecting people to. And so it's cool that even on this scale here and you compare it to yeah. that, it's a moment and, and both of them matter. But what we do here is just, it's exponentially it's, great. It's eternal. Yeah, it's
0: life-changing. Is. yeah. it is. It's life changing Yeah. It's supposed to be formative for the rest of your life. All right. Well, so Carmen could probably sit here and talk my ear off because she just she you need to stop you're just blathering on and on and on and on <laughs> jeez my goodness a moment i'm kidding thank you so much Absolutely. for sharing and for the many moments in the future that you're going to create and uh, we hope that everyone who's listening that you get to be a part of a moment in a live live worship experience here at the church because there's a lot of time and intentionality now you might have heard this and go what are they trying to do to me today (laughs) and you can know we're trying to lead you into worship of Jesus and we're doing lots of things to do it Um, so anyway thanks this is the rest and we'll get you next time